Good morning, CLC. It's Pastor Ben here. I am so glad that you have chosen to join us this morning as we worship the Lord together and in spirit and in truth. And for those who are joining us for the first time, we welcome you to our family. And on this morning, I want to begin by um, telling you a story that may reflect our attitudes toward the government. Here was a story. There was a young boy who wanted $100 so bad that he began to pray for two weeks to God, but nothing happened. So he decided to write a letter to God requesting that $100. When the postal authority saw the boy's letter addressed to God, they decided to send that letter to the president of the United States. And the letter reached the White House where the president was so amused that he instructed his secretary to send that little boy, but only $50, thinking that $100 was a bit too much for a young boy, but making sure that the letter looked like it came from God. After, um, after all, the, the president didn't want the boy to lose his faith. So a few days later, upon receiving the letter, the little boy was so delighted that he immediately wrote a thank you note to God that read, Dear God, thank you so very much for sending me the money. However, I've noticed that for some reason, you had to send it through Washington, D.C. And as usual, those lousy politicians took half of my money. You know, uh, for the past few months, uh, we saw our nation go through destructions of communities, uh, personal properties, assault, battery, and even murder that many people took to the streets demanding and emphasizing their rights. And as a result, the heart of distrust, anger, and other volatile emotions has set in the hearts of many as to how we may view our government. You know, I often hear people ask, so which form of the government is the best? Which is the one that God wants us to have? Is it a monarchy, an oligarchy, or is it a republic or a democracy? You know, even though the scriptures reflect various forms of governments, but the answer is not necessarily any of these, but rather what God has brought into being. What God has brought us, uh, brought into being. And surely God has brought forth a form of a government And today's message will illustrate our balancing responsibilities as believers with God and in state. So the theme to first section of Romans 13 is the relationship of the Christian to the state or or to its government. You see, it outlines our responsibility to civil authorities, which some people have difficulty in doing. You know, growing up, you probably have heard of this maxim, never to discuss religion and politics in polite company or in public. And maybe that's why these seven verses have caused us more unhappiness and misery in the Christian circle than any other seven verses in the New Testament. Now, that could be an overstatement, But the issue of how we Christians operate in a secular environment 
especially in terms of the government and the government authorities. Now, it really can be challenging. And so my intention today is not to make you unhappy or more miserable or even cause a division, but to remind us what, what Romans chapter 12, verse 2 compels us to do, to renew our minds. You know, um, I find that those who are not Christians have a great difficulty in thinking of the government leaders, especially those who are tyrants, vicious, or cruels, as in any sense being a servant of God. And yet, if we Christians are going to conform our thinkings to reality, you know, i.e. proof as God sees it, this is what we must begin to think. We need to have our minds renewed to what the scripture says and to think along those lines about life around us in order that we might be able to present our bodies available to God to use in whatever situation that we find ourselves. So now with that being said, would you turn your Bibles to Romans chapter 13, 1 through 7, as I try to address a topic I really believe it's one of those very, very sensitive in nature, the Christian and our government. And this is what the Lord of the Lord, or what of the Lord says, let every soul be subject to the government authority, governing authorities, for there is no authority except from heaven, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring a judgment on themselves. For rulers are not terrors to good works, but to evil. Do you, want to be, do you want to be unafraid of the authorities? Do what is good, and you will have praises from the same. For he is God's ministers to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of the wrath, but also for the conscientious or the conscience sake. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render, therefore, to all their taxes, all their dues, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honors. Now, I want you to first, or I'm going to illustrate the first element that I would like to point out, and that is the, our role to the government. What is our role? Well, it is summed up in that one verse, in verse 1. It is this word subject. It says, let every soul, and I think that includes you and I, since we are all a living creature, so... Let every soul, including yours and mine, be subject to the governing authorities. You know, right off the bat, automatically, some of you might have a problem with that. And maybe some are even thinking, well, and that's what it says, but it really doesn't mean that. Now, if some of you are thinking like that, I want you to take a look at verse 5. Because Paul says it again, therefore, you must be subject. Now, 
This word subject is an imperative. It is a command. And you know, Peter even takes this same word and he translates it into to submit. If you like, take a look in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 13, this is what Peter said. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human situation, whether it be to the emperor as supreme. Do you know that this Greek word, hupotasso, comes from two words, hupo meaning under, and tasso meaning to line up, to line up under. And did you know that it was used as a military uh, sense to arrange troops in formation under a leader? But did you know that when it was used as a non-military sense, it, it means a voluntary attitude of corporations, or it is also, or it can be translated also to help carry a burden. Well, I, I get the definition, but... You know what, Pastor Ben, it's very, very unsettling and even nerve-wracking to voluntarily muscle up the attitude of corporations or let alone even to help carry a burden for a government or government officials when they're becoming or they are tyrants. I mean, what do we do as Christians when the government goes against God's principles? Now, this is a great question. But I want you to hold on to this thought because I'm going to come back in the end and I'll try to elaborate. But for now, the basic role for a Christian to the government is to do what? To be a subject. You see, God is honored when his earthly representatives are seen as stabilizers in a society rather than being a rebel. And a good Christian is a good citizen. Now, with that being said, let me move on to the second element, which is the rule of the government. And here, let's see how far reaching Paul says that this authority goes. Now, I want you to look at the verse one again, but the second sentence in that verse, for there is no authority except from whom? Yep, you guessed it. God. And all the authorities that exist are appointed by whom? By God. And therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. Now, with that being said, I could see another difficult statement for us to swallow. But you know what? Let's see where Paul begins. And that thing we really know we need to realize that's where we need to begin. And that is with the sovereignty of God. So here's the point. You see, power has only one source, and that true source is from God. No matter how well or no matter how poorly that power is used, all power comes from God. And the one who understood this element very well was Jesus as he stood before the Pilate, the very man who would demand his execution of him on the cross. And so Pilate and Jesus met. As Pilate questions him, but Jesus gives no answer. As if Jesus had nothing to say to the Pilate. So then Pilate says to Jesus, do you refuse to speak to me? 
Do you not know that I have the power to crucify you and I have the power to release you? Then Jesus answered. This is what he says. You have no power at all against me, Pilate, unless it has been given to you from where? From above. Did you see Jesus' answer? Pilate, the only reason you have the power is because my Father in heaven put you in power. John 19, verse 10 through 11. You know, this week, Pastor Calvin brought up a really good point, a very, very good argument as to this text and to this very, very verse. You see that this verse has been used to support slavery of unjust immigrations and other racial policies in the Christian circle. True, though Paul uh, Paul doesn't go into this side or explains it in this passage, but I want you to set in motion, or I want us to go down memory lane. Now, do you remember in elementary school reciting the Pledges of Allegiance? Now, I know for some, you have to go way, way back. But do you remember the part that goes, one nation? That's right, under God. And I think this is so biblical that this nation exists as a nation under God. And what this is saying, of course, is that this nation are to recognize that they have limited powers. And they are not only agents of God and not God. Yes, government has the authority over what we do with our properties, like paying taxes or set rules for speeding, but our government has no authority over what God says ought to be done. Or to command us not to do what God says should be done. And here's what I'm getting at. You see, there are limits of the government powers, and government has no right to enslave people, which, by the way, is one of the most cruelest manifestations imaginable regarding abusive or abuse among human race, because we bear the images of God. And last week, Pastor Calvin mentioned that from the beginning, God created mankind to be special, unique, diverse. And we were the only of his creation where God said, you are so good. And so as believers, we have the right to resist the oppressions and religious persecutions by nonviolent means, of course, when given the opportunity. But we are not to resist the legitimate functions of the government. Let me repeat, but we are not to resist the legitimate functions of our government. Now, that comes to our third element, which is reason for the government. Why does it exist? What's the purpose of a government? Well, if you take a look at verse 3 to 5, it gives us the answer. For rulers are not a terror to do good works, but to do evil. You want to be unafraid of the authority, do what is good. And you will have praises from the same, for he is God's minister to you for good. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sore in vain. For he is God's ministers and avenger, and to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject, not only because of wrath, but also for the 
conscientious sake. But if you do evil, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. By the way, that word sword has a specific reference to capital punishment. It is sort of an execution in his context and in his linguistic roots. For he is God's servant, minister, and avengers to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of the wrath, but also for the conscientious sake. Now, this is the reason for our government. You know, twofold reasons why Paul says that they exist. Paul says the government is to be God's servant on earth for two reasons. Number one, to protect. And number two, to punish. To protect the community and punish the criminals. Yeah, that, that makes sense. And I don't have a problem with that until I come to that word that Paul gives us to describe the government officials. Now, he uses it three times. Do you see it? It's that very word servant or minister, diaconus, which where we get the word deacons from. Now, when was the last time you got pulled over by a police officer, rolled down your window and thought, hey, here comes a minister or servant of God. Hello, sir. (laughs) Hello, reverend. Hello, deacon. Not I, nor any of you, right? Well, the idea here is that the government is not only to provide for our defense and security, but also to provide a certain common services that we all need and to function as that of a deacon in the church, sort of helping us in our needs. So out of this grows the function of government in providing like your mail services, utilities like waters and sewage, schools, relief agencies, and many other functions of a government. So there are all these proper functions, reasons of a government agencies. Did you get that? So far, so good. Now, for the last element, which is our response to the government. And here, Paul is saying as he flashes out into twofold responses in verse 6 and 7. For because of this, you also pay taxes. For they are God's ministers. For because of this, this you pay taxes. And render therefore to all their dues, taxes to whom taxes are due, custom to whom customs, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom who honors. Now, um, do you remember me telling you in the beginning to renew our minds or renew your minds? Well, I, I have a test then. I, I want you to think of the IRS IRS, yes, as God's ministers or God's deacon for a moment. Uh, Wait, wait, wait. What? Now, that's going too far, Pastor Ben. I know, I know, I know. But it's in the word. It's in the scripture. So let's just go along with it. For they are God's minister attending continually to this very thing. And so here are the two full responses. Number one. Government should be supported. That's where your taxes comes in. By the way, before I got married, my dad gave me two wisdom on a happy life and a happy marriage. This is what he said. Son, number one, 
never mess with the IRS. And number two, your wife is always right. You know, I've been married for 25 years. So far, so good. So number one, government should be supported. Now, number two, government should be respected and honored. Honor to whom honor, fear to whom fear. Now, this brings up an issue, and I told you I'd get back. Is there ever a time for civil disobedience? In answering this question, I want you to take a notice of a word in verse 5. This is what it says. Therefore, you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for your, what? Conscious sake. It's this word conscience. The context is that God gave us a conscience. A conscientious recognition that government is God-given. So by submitting to authority, that gives us a clear conscience generally, hopefully. But what about it when it doesn't? What about it when the government violates God's law? And we know that. And now we have a very, very uneasy conscience. And what if the government is violating a clear scriptural principles and our conscience is violated? It was Apostle Paul who says in Acts chapter 24, verse 16, I always live to have a clear conscience before God and men. So then, what if the state passes a law or policies that opposes God's given laws? You know, in answering that question, I want you to remember in Acts chapter 5, verse 29, where the Jewish Sanhedrin's were in power in Jerusalem, and they just passed a law saying, you cannot speak the name of Jesus publicly anymore in this city. So when Peter and John found about this, this law, this edict, do you remember what they did? They went out and they preached the gospel more. And guess what? They got arrested. And those who are in leadership and power said to Peter and uh, I know. Uh, Peter and John, why are you doing this? Didn't we give you an order? But we gave you a command. It's the law. And I love the responses. I love when Peter and, and John answer them and says, we must obey God rather than men. You see, this is civil disobedience. Because to obey man would be to obey, disobey God. And they said, we rather offend you and take the consequences than to offend my living God. So is there ever a time when believers' obligation to civil authority is negated? In in answering this, I want to give you a short answer and a long answer. And the short answer is yes. And the longer answer or long answer is Yes, but just don't break anything. Now, let me elaborate a little further. It is the Christian duty in a civil affairs, civic affairs, to hold powers to account when we see injustice done. And there is more than one way of doing that, of course. And participating in an organizing massive protest is one of those ways. I know last month, 
uh, when given the opportunity to protest, I, I went out to the streets of Berkeley, you know, holding up the sign that read Black Lives Matter. And Pastor Andrew comes and he asks me, hey, Pastor Ben, why? Why did you go down there and protest? And here's the rule or here's the principle. We submit to government up to the point when obeying the government means disobeying God. Did you get that? We submit to the government up to the point when obeying the government means disobeying God. When the government says, don't do this, and God says to do it, you do it, and you disobey the government. If the government says the opposite to violate a clear command of God, we must obey God. You know, as believers, we have a dual citizenship. We are citizens of the earth and his governing realm. Very true. But we are also citizens of what? Where? Heaven. Philippians chapter 3 verse 20 states that our citizenship is in heaven. Even though I have an earthly address and I live in this country, but we need to constantly remind ourselves that we have a heavenly address, a spiritual address, that I am in Jesus Christ, which means I have an eventual address and an allegiance to the kingdom of heaven. Now, before I conclude, I want us to scroll down to one more verse in the book of Romans. And that's that verse, Romans chapter 13, verse 8, where Paul says that we should pay whatever we owe then Paul kind of ships the subject back to love. And, and this is what he says. Owe no one anything except to love one another, for he who loves another has fulfilled the law. You see what Paul is saying here. Love is the most basic Christian ethics. We will always need to love one another. It is an eternal obligation. Why? Because the one who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. In a way, the law is the primary goal and the love is a stepping stone toward that goal. But actually, more accurately, love is the goal. And the law provides guidance about how we are to love. So in closing today's message, I want to give you a very challenging application. You know, last Friday, I was invited to one of the home groups where we were discussing racial injustices and the model minority myth. And people were talking and each had their own differences, opinions, which is fine. But long as you don't break things. But I was very, 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 very edified. I, I saw God siding. Uh, when not naming who, he said, hey, guys, um, I think we really need to pray for our government and also for our president. And then kind of that silence. So here is the challenging thought. You know, I think we need to be very, very careful how we speak about government authorities and political figures. Now, we may disagree with them, of course. I mean, it's, it's inevitable. I mean, you know what? The woman that God gave me for 25 years, 
And I still find it alarming that we can't agree on certain things. But I am bound by scripture to pray for my wife and to love her as Christ loves the church. As also we are bound by scripture to honor and to pray for our government and its officials and even our president. You know, if if the maxim that states never to discuss religion and politics in polite company or in public, if that is true, you know what? We are living in a world of hurt, I think. But in talking about politics, I hope and I pray that most of our words are talking to God and about them and that we should be in prayers for them as well. I think it was the Godfather who said, keep your friends close, but your enemies closer. You know, I think this is so biblical. And that's exactly what Jesus did, didn't he? Throughout the the, the sermon series, Who is Our Neighbor? You know, um, the Holy Spirit has been convicting my heart to forgive and to repent for all those that I've othered. You know, even Jesus puts it this way, as he said, Behold, I send you out as sheep among the midst of the wolves. And the reason that I'm sending you out into the den of danger is because I actually want you to love them so much that amongst the wolves, my hope and my prayer is that some of those wolves will become sheep. But I understand that this is where the interface comes in. And one of the struggles as believers is balancing the responsibility as believers with God and to the state, since we carry both the heavenly and earthly passports. So I want to leave with you what Paul instructs Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 through 2. I want you to kind of think about this throughout this week. And keep in mind again, who's in leadership or who's the king, who's the Caesar on the throne during Rome? It was Nero. And this is what he says. Therefore, I exhort first of all that supplication, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and all who are in authority. Now, you could put Nero there or any other government officials' names that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all the godliness and with reverence. I, you know, I know that it's, it's very challenging, but once again, this is what the scripture says. And I really believe that to renew our minds means to go and to really, really be what God commands us to be. Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for these words. Even though it's hard for us to digest sometimes, but would you allow our minds to be renewed to what the scripture says and to think along those lines about the life around us in order that we might be able to present our lives as a living sacrifice available to you to be used in whatever situation that we find ourselves. Father God, 
uh, we're so much in in turmoil and volatile state of where we are in COVID-19 and all these racial and social injustices. Father God, I pray that even though that our feet are aligned or we're stepping on earthly realm, help us to always remind that we have or that we are citizens of heaven. Father God, thank you uh, for these uh, words today. And I pray, Father God, as we live this week, Help us to always remind us of how we could be a good neighbors to others. Father God, I thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.